Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone. This is Kennard Brown speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Happy Shabbat or Sabbath to everyone that is keeping a Sabbath in the United States and around the world. And shalom, peace to my fellow Jews around the world. I'm going to talk about something that is confusion for some people. Some Christians actually believe that the Father and the Son is one person. And they base this on one scripture. This is my experience with this uh, with this mis- misunderstanding. In John chapter 14, verse 9. And the scripture reads, like this. This is in the King James Version. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me has seen the Father. And how say thou show us the Father? So what they do is just stop right there, and they say, Hey, well, the Father is the Son, and the Son is the Father. But they don't read the rest of uh, verse 10, which explains to you what he meant, and then other scriptures. They don't use the other scriptures to interpret John 14, verse 9. Because when you look at other scriptures, Yeshua or Jesus did not mean that he's the Father. All right, there's other scriptures that prove that he spoke of someone else that was greater than him. And that being is the Father. How can he be greater than himself? So anyway, I'm going to get into this today. Uh, but I just wanted to quote that scripture so you can study that scripture yourself. And I will, um, again, go over this in more detail later in the program. But as I do on this program, for those who are listening to me for the first time, I, I want to give you a disclaimer. This program perhaps would be a program unlike any you've ever listened to. And I'm not bragging. I'm not being arrogant. I'm just telling you the truth. Because... The Bible defines the truth as the following. In Matthew 4, verse 4, Yeshua stated, Thy word is truth, or all the words of the Bible is truth. Actually, in Matthew 4, verse 4, he stated that we must live by every word of God. But in uh, John, chapter 17, verse 17, he states the following. 
says, Sanctify them through thy truth. And he was talking to another being called the Father when uh, in John chapter 17. That's what the whole chapter uh, of John 17 is about, him praying to his Father before he was uh, crucified. So John chapter 17, verse 17 states plainly, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And then in Psalm 119, verse 142, it states the following, that the Torah, or Torah is translated law in the King James Version, is the truth. So the entire Bible, ladies and gentlemen, is the truth. And I find that that people that struggle with understanding the Bible, they don't believe all the words of God. And you have to. If you don't believe all the words of God, then it's going to be difficult for you to understand other scriptures, ladies and gentlemen. And so you have to. That's really the first step toward really being able to understand the entire Bible. Let me give you a few scriptures here to help you understand that. Uh, In Proverbs chapter 1, and the words of God will correct you, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to correct you. And if you don't want to be corrected, then you're going to have a very difficult time uh, believing the Bible. Uh, Yeshua and Yohanan the Immerser or John the Baptist stated, repent. Repent. That means we all got something wrong with us and we all need to change our behavior and how we treat God and other people. So when you read the Bible, there's going to be something in there that you're doing that you need to change that the Bible is letting you know about. So anyway, in Proverbs 1, verse 22, it says, How long, you simple ones, will you love simple ones of people that just believe in anything that, they want, anything that they hear without checking first? How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity and the scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge? And and look, I'm not calling you a fool. The, word of, the words of God is calling each and every one of us a fool if we hate knowledge. Biblical knowledge, any other knowledge for that matter. That, you know, of course, righteous knowledge, not wicked knowledge. Verse 23, turn you at my reproof or correction. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. So if you read a scripture and you say, well, I just don't believe that, then he's not going to give you the ability to understand the words of God, which is the Bible. He says, I will pour out my spirit into you. I will make known my words unto you. But if you don't turn at the correction, meaning that you don't believe what the scriptures say, that's a rebellion, by the way, which is witchcraft, uh, playing around with demons and being in the demonic world when you don't want to obey, that's a form of rebellion, which is idolatry, then you won't have the ability to understand the Word of God, because the Spirit won't be poured out unto you to help you understand the words, ladies and gentlemen. So that's why it's important not to get rebellious uh, when the words of God are spoken to you, or when you read something and and, and uh, it it causes you not to believe what you previously believed was true. Like in Isaiah 56, Isaiah 55, verse 6, it says, Seek you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, 
and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That's what you have to do to be able to understand the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. You have to repent, forsake your own way, your own way and, and your own thoughts, if it's in contrary to the word of God. You have to do that, because if you don't do that, you're not going to be able to understand it. So I'm trying to explain this to you as, as clearly as I can. And there's another scripture here, if I can find it. And it talks about the process of uh, being able to understand the Bible. Okay, in Ephesians 4, verse 8, for, uh, verse 18, rather. Ephesians 4, verse 17. Ephesians 4, verse 17. This Ephesians 4, verse 17. This I say, there, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles, or, or Gentiles in this context as uh, uh, other people that uh, aren't believers, okay, uh, of uh, the other nations, of the people of the other nations that aren't believers, uh, they don't have the Spirit of God, and the vanity of their mind, or the meaningless of their mind. That's what vanity means. Vanity means in the Greek... Uh, Moral depravity, that's what it means. Verse 18 in Ephesians 4, verse 18. <laughs> Ephesians 4, verse 18, I'm sorry. Having the understanding having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. Okay? Who, being past feeling, has given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness and greediness. So when you when you don't believe the words of God, that's what happens. You become blinded. You become blinded, and, and you lose the ability to be able to understand the Bible. All right here's another example. When it talks about the Jews being blinded when when they read the Old Testament and they can't see. Uh, Yeshua says, Second Corinthians chapter three verse fourteen. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remains the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament or the Tanakh, which is done away in Yeshua. In other words, uh, you're able to understand it better when you you put the Messiah into the picture. That's that's what it's saying basically. And I'm trying to find this other scripture. Um, here we go. First John two verse eleven. Ashing verse. 10, 1 John 2, verse 10. He that loves his brother abides in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hates his brother is in the darkness, and walks in darkness, and knoweth not whether he goes, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So if you don't love your brother, what is love? Love is keeping the commandments. And 2 John 1, verse 6 is walking in the commandments. And if you don't keep those commandments, and love your brother, because when you keep the commandments, you do know how to bear the fruits of God's Holy Spirit, which is in Galatians chapter 5, then you are, your understanding is darkened. That's why so many people don't understand the Bible today, because they don't keep the commandments. They don't keep all the commandments to the best of their ability. So, you know, that that's unfortunate, but um, that's the way it is. That's the way it is, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, 
you have to be willing to believe the Bible. If you're not willing to believe the Bible, then you're going to have some serious issues trying to understand it. So, you know, I just want to point that out to you. And if any of you are struggling with trying to understand the Bible, then what I suggest you do is be willing to be corrected by the Bible and and tremble before God's words. And Isaiah chapter 66 verse 2 tells us to do that, to tremble, to tremble before his words. And, and, uh, and if we are willing to do that, then he will give you the ability to understand the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. But you have to believe that that's the case. You have to believe it. But if you don't believe the words of God, then you're going to have a very, very difficult time um, understanding it. And see here, let me read this to you. This is a beautiful passage of Scripture here in Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. I read this in the uh, 1965 Bible and Basic English Version for clarity's sake. It says, Simon Peter, a servant of the Apostle of Jesus Christ, to those, I'm sorry, Simon Peter, a servant and Apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who with us have a part in the same holy faith and the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace ever be increasing in you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, because by his power he has given us everything necessary for life and righteousness through the knowledge of him who has been our guide by his glory and virtue. And through this he has given us the hope of great rewards highly to be valued, so that by them we might have our part in God's being and be made free from the destruction which is in the world through the desires of the flesh. So, for this very cause, take every care, joining virtue to faith and knowledge to virtue, and self-control to knowledge, and of a quiet mind to self-control, and fear of God to a quiet mind, and love of the brothers to fear of God, and love of the brothers to fear of God, and to love of the brothers' love itself. For if you have these things in good measure, they will make you fertile and full of fruit in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, For the man who has not these things is blind, seeing only what is near, having no memory of how he was made clean from his old sins. So he says, For this reason, my brothers, take all the more care to make your selection and approval certain, for if you do these things, you will never have a fault. For so the way will be open to you into, into the eternal kingdom of our Lord, Savior Jesus Christ. So again, uh, to stop the blindness, ladies and gentlemen, you have to accept what the Bible is saying and be willing to be corrected. And in Matthew chapter 18, as a, as a prime example of this, uh, states plainly, in that hour, Matthew 18 verse 1, Matthew 18 verse 1 in the 1965 Bible and Basic English Version, the 1965 Bible and Basic English Version, Matthew 18 verse 1, in that hour the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In verse 2, and he took a little child and put him in the middle of them. And he said, truly I say to you, if you do not have a change of heart and become like little children, you will not go into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, whoever then will make himself as low as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 5, and whoever gives honor to one such little child in my name gives honor to me. 
Okay, so that that's the main thing. When you read the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, let me turn to Isaiah to prove my point. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2. It states plainly, For all these things my hand is made, and they are mine, says the Lord. But to this man only will I give attention, to him who was poor and broken in spirit, fearing my word. So you have to, and the King James Version says, tremble at my word. So he wants people that's going to take his word seriously, ladies and gentlemen. He's He's going to want that from you. And if you do that, he's going to give you the ability to understand the words of God. And in, I, in the King James Version, I like this translation even better. It says, Isaiah 66, uh, I, I'm sorry. In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 5, let me slow down here. <laughs> in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 5, hear the word of, of the Lord. And here, in, in, in the original Hebrew, means to understand, to discern. Understand the word of God, ye that tremble at his word. You're not going to understand the words of God, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't, don't tremble at the words. And tremble means to be afraid, to be reverential, or to take it seriously. And in this context, inter- interestingly, it says, Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified, and he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. So there's going to be people that pretend to be believers, they are the, the tares uh, in Matthew chapter 13. That is explained. It's going to be always, actually, not just a religious organization, but any organization, there's always troublemakers that masquerade as, as being a part of the program when they really aren't. But anyway, um, it states here that uh, even among the true God's assembly, uh, his true believers, there's going to be some people that are acting like true believers, but their fruit stinks. Their behavior stinks, and you'll be able to identify them by what they do, not what they say. So, um, again, I'm just trying to emphasize, you have to take the words of God seriously, ladies and gentlemen, for you to really believe the words of God. And another thing, too, I want to emphasize this, because I don't think people really understand what the Spirit of God does. Uh, to a human being. So I'm going to explain that to you using the scriptures. The abilities that the, the, the Spirit gives you in reference to what we're talking about today. Uh, the ability to understand the scriptures. So let me find it here. Using my trusty concordance here. I'll be able to find it here. First Corinthians chapter 2. This is a good foundational um scripture here and I've heard I hear this many times we're not going to be able to understand all these things until the Messiah comes back uh, well this is what the scriptures say about that ladies and gentlemen 1st Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9 but as it is written I has not seen no ear heard neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him and how do we love them how do we love anyone? By keeping the commandments. All right? First John 2, verse 10. But God has revealed unto us, these are the commandment keepers, the believers, by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, not some things, all things, 
Yes, the deep things of God. Let me repeat this scripture again. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10. But God has revealed unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Not some things, all things. Yes, the deep things of God. Verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him, which proves we have a spirit in us. Even so, the things of God knows no man but the spirit of God. I hope you realize what is being said to you, ladies and gentlemen. All I'm doing is reading the words, but it's saying that if you have the spirit of God, you have the capability of understanding the deep things of God. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, which is the devil's spirit, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely, doesn't have a price tag on it, given to us of God. Verse 13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches. And that's the problem. I find that people, when they try to interpret the scripture, they try to use man's wisdom that's contrary to it, instead of using man's wisdom that agrees with it. But which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Yeshua stated plainly in John, hold your place in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13. Let's go to John, John chapter 6. And he talks about the scriptures and, and the words that he that he's telling you here. John 6. John chapter 6, verse 63. It is the spirit that quickens, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. They are life. So when we study the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, we have to compare the spiritual things with the spiritual. The words of God is spiritual. And verse 14. But the natural man, or the common man, receives not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him. Neither can they know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Or spiritually uh, in question. Spiritually uh, scrutinized. But he that is spiritual judges investigates all things, yet he himself is investigated of no man. Now, this is interesting. Verse 16, For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Yeshua, or Jesus. When you have the Spirit of God, which is synonymous with the Spirit of Christ, they appear to be one and the same, based on uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 9, that I'll go over today. You have the ability to, to understand the deep things of God, ladies and gentlemen. It's, 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 uh, 
you have to to search things out. You have to be willing to do that. And if you're not willing to to take the scriptures and to search for the answers, then you're going to have a very difficult time understanding the Bible. In Proverbs 25, verse 2, it says, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings to search out a matter. And in Revelation chapter 1, that's what believers are training to become, kings and priests. Revelation 1 verse 6, and he has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Uh, here, here's another scripture to prove that they're two separate beings. <laughs> In verse 5, and it says right here, Jesus, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests unto God and his father, his father. He has a father. And then in John chapter 20, he has a God too. I know I told one individual last week, I asked him, do you believe that, uh, do you actually believe that Yeshua has a God? And he said, no. Well, the scriptures indicate from his own mouth that he said he has a, has a God. And I'm going to show that to you today in the Scriptures. So we have to believe what the Scriptures say, and it is possible to believe the deep things of God through the Scriptures, ladies and gentlemen. It truly is. That's how God himself, he reveals himself through his words. Okay? That, that's how, and through the Bible, that's how he reveals himself. Because, and let's go over 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, duly furnished into all good works. So we study this book so we can do good deeds. That's that's primarily uh, the reason why, so that we can do good unto others. Okay, so let's look at, or let's see if there's any major world news uh, that is going on uh, before I get into the uh, main Bible study here. So what I'm going to do first is go to watch.org. Okay, and uh, this is World Watch Daily Koenig International News. It says, Lavrov, U.S. actions may derail Syria peace conference. Russia's foreign minister calls arms shipments to rebels a very big mistake. Says it's unrealistic that Assad will step down. Russia's foreign minister said Friday that Washington is sending contradictory signals on Syria that could derail an international conference intended to end the civil war, warning that U.S. talk about a possible no-fly zone would only encourage the rebels to keep fighting. That no-fly zone is similar to what they had when they were in Iraq. Sergey Lavrov, speaking in an interview with the Associated Press and the, and the Bloomberg News agencies on Friday, also criticized demands that Syrian President Bashar Assad step down. I quote, not because we like the regime, but because we want the regime to stay, 
but because it's for the Syrians to decide, end of quote. Lavrov said, quote again, and to say you must capitulate and deliver the power to us is just not realistic, end of quote. And then it has right here Netanyahu, I, do, I, I don't want a binational state. Quote, I don't want a binational state, end of quote. Netanyahu told the Washington Post in an interview on Thursday, quote again, I want a state for the Jewish people alongside a state for the Palestinian people. It's the balance between effecting a separation between the Israelis and the Palestinians and ensuring that the Palestinian state does not become an Iranian outpost that concerns my efforts vis-a-vis the Palestinian-Israeli peace process, end of quote. So here we go again with the ridiculous um, sharing land that, that God is totally, and I mean totally, against, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, he, he's talked about this over and over and over again in the scriptures. And here's a prophecy in the book of Judges. I want you to pay attention to this one. Judges chapter 2, verse 1. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swore unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant or agreement with you. In verse 2. And you shall make no league or agreement with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars, which they haven't done yet, but you have not obeyed my voice. They didn't do it back then. They're not doing it today. Why have you done this? In verse 3, Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides. And isn't the Palestinian thorns in the sides of the Israelis today, ladies and gentlemen? This is prophetic when I'm reading to you. And their God shall be a snare unto you, and it certainly is. And this is what the Lord wants Israelis to do, and they're not doing it yet. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spoke these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And that's what he wants them to do, and they're not weeping. But I tell you, there's some things that are going to be happening in Jerusalem that will get them to weep. <laughs> yes, the scriptures totally indicate that, ladies and gentlemen. And again, the, the Jews are a part of Israel, but they're not entirely all of Israel. All of Israel today consists of, geographically, the United States, the British Commonwealth of Nations, the countries in Northwestern Europe, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia. If you don't believe me, you think I'm talking a bunch of crazy talk. Go to www.beasandboyritam.org and be enlightened and informed and amazed at what Yer Davidi has uncovered through the pages of the Bible and also secular outside of the Bible sources to prove what I just said. Okay. Let me scroll down this website and see if there's anything else here. It says, U.S. leads some 700 combat-ready troops in Jordan after training exercises. Oh, this is interesting. The United States has left about 700 combat-equipped troops in Jordan after a training exercise there at the request of the Jordanian government, President Barack Obama said on Friday. 
With both countries keeping a wary eye on the civil war in Syria, Obama said in the letter to Congress that 700 of the troops deployed to Jordan as part of a training exercise will remain behind. The exercise ended on Thursday. They will remain until the security situation becomes such that they are no longer needed, Obama said. So it looks like some things are brewing. Let's pay attention again to Isaiah chapter 17. Let's go there, Isaiah 17, verse 1. It says, the burden of Damascus. Now, the capital city of Syria is Damascus. The burden of Damascus. Behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city, and it shall be a ruinous heap. So, is Damascus a ruinous heap? Has it ever been a ruinous heap? Well, It says right here in the John Gill commentary, a heap of stones as the Targum and Kinshi interpreted a, a behold is prefixed to the whole as being very wonderful and remarkable, unthought of and unexpected. And let me read uh, what he says here about behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city. The kingdom as the Targum, it was the head of one, but now its walls were demolished, its houses pulled down, and its inhabitants carried captive. This was done by Tegah. Pilsner, king of Assyria. This is found in Second Kings chapter 16, verse 9. It had been a very ancient city, see Genesis 15, verse 2, and the head of the kingdom of Syria, Isaiah 7, verse 8. And though it underwent this calamity, it was rebuilt again and was a city of great fame when destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Jeremiah 49, verse 24, after which it was raised up again <laughs> and was in being in the apostles' time and still is. So, Based on the fact that it was demolished and rebuilt and then demolished again and rebuilt, it looks like it may happen again in the end time. So we need to pay attention to this prophecy because in Ecclesiastes 1, starting in verse 8, actually verse 9, it states, The thing that has been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. So it's a possibility that this could occur again, based on the fact it's already happened two times already, the city being destroyed and rebuilt again. So let's keep an eye on what's going on in Syria, ladies and gentlemen, based on Isaiah 17, verse 1. It may happen again. All right, with the destruction of Damascus. All right, let's go to some national news uh, in the United States here, see what's going on. Um, I know that the Supreme Court any day could rule that um, same-sex marriage is acceptable in every state, which would be uh, unprecedented in United States history and certainly uh, prophetic in a biblical sense. And I'm just saying if they do happen, if that does happen, ladies and gentlemen, you need to prepare for a, tr a tremendous amount of curses on this country. So I'm just warning you, based on the words of God in the Bible. Um, let's look at the national news here. I'm going to the economic collapse blog. It's called the... The, you can go here with me if you're by your PC. The Economic Collapse Blog dot com is T H E Economic Collapse Blog dot com. The Economic Collapse Blog dot com. 
Okay, the headline, when I go to this website, he changes it frequently. It's a pretty highly ranked website as well. The Alexa rank is 25,995, which is, uh, out of the millions of websites, is uh, 20, it's in the 25,000s um, of websites, which is pretty high. It says, if the yield goes significantly higher, the market is going to freak out. Says mass carnage, stocks, bonds, gold, silver, Europe, and Japan all get pummeled. And, and it has here the waste list, 66 crazy ways that the U.S. government is wasting your hard-earned money. And it has right here the financial markets freak out when the Fed hints that it may slow down the injection. There's 32 facts that show how men are being systematically emasculated in America today. Well, this is an interesting article. Let me read a little bit of what it says here because it's prophetic. What is wrong with men in America? Why isn't our country producing lots of strong, independent, hardworking men of character like it once did? Well, many believe that it starts at a very young age. When compared with girls, boys in the United States get lower grades, they are much more likely to get into trouble at school, and they are much more likely to be put on behavior-modifying drugs. When it comes time to pursue a higher education, most of our young men are ill-prepared to do that. Today, nearly 60% of students enrolled at U.S. colleges are women. Let me underscore that. Today, nearly 60% of the students enrolled at U.S. colleges are women. And, of course, it has become much more difficult for men to find good jobs. In fact, less than 65% of all men have a job right now. Without a good job, a man is not considered to be marriage material, but a large percentage of our young men don't want to get married anyway. Society has told them that it's okay to be a slacker. Today... Far too many of our young men are far more interested in their various addictions, beer, drugs, sex, video games, gambling, than they are in starting a family. But the truth is that men are far more happy when they have a purpose. When men are raising families, starting businesses, or doing something to transform society, they feel fulfilled. And that is so true, ladies and gentlemen. That has a lot of truth in it. I implore you to read um, read this uh, the content on this website. You will not get this type of information anywhere else uh, like it is presented here. So you need to. Um, this is interesting. Some of the facts that he, that he has here. Uh, it's, it's just amazing. Uh, I wanted to read. Um, he has something about, uh, yeah, uh, fact number 18 here. He says, the average young American will spend 10,000 hours, 10,000 hours playing video games before the age of 21. That's sad. That is really sad. Number 15, males account for approximately 70% of all D's, that's D as in dog, and F's in U.S. public schools. 
Number 16, about two-thirds of all students in special education programs are boys. That's 66%. Number 17, the average American girl spends five hours a week playing video games. The average American boy spends 13 hours a week playing video games. Number 19, one study discovered that 88% of all Americans between the ages of 8 and 18 play video games, and that video game addiction is approximately four times as common among boys as it is among girls. That's sad. That is really sad. Number 22, it is being projected that women will earn 60% of all bachelor's degrees from U.S. universities by the year 2016. And number 23, once in college, women are much more likely to complete their education and get a degree. That's sad. Women born in 1975 were roughly 17% more likely than their male counterparts to attend college and nearly 23% more likely to complete a four-year degree, according to data in Wayward Sons. Number 24, young men are nearly twice as likely to live with their parents as young women the same age are. Number 25, back in 1950, 78% of all households in the United States contained a married couple. Today, the number has declined to 8. The number has declined to 48%. Excuse the technical problems of Blog Talk Radio. Number 26, the marriage rate in the United States has fallen to an all-time low. Right now, it is sitting at a yearly rate of 6.8 marriages per 1,000 people. And this is sad, too. Um, Number 30, the United States produces more pornography, more pornography than any other nation in the world. Men consume far more of that pornography than women. Number 31, an astounding 30% of all Internet traffic now goes to pornography websites. And one survey found that 25% of all employees that have Internet access, 25% of all employees that have Internet access visit sex websites while they are at work. It's sad. This is really sad, ladies and gentlemen. And number 29, at this point, approximately one out of every three children in America lives in a home without a father. So that's 33% of all children don't have a father. And it's far worse for black families, far worse. So anyway, you can read the rest of this, but it's not good news. But but I have to tell you and warn you about what's going on, ladies and gentlemen. And Isaiah chapter three tells us and confirms the information that I just read to you. Isaiah 3, verse 12. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee the air and destroy the way of thy paths. And in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 3. For behold, the Lord Lord of hosts doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water, the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet, the prudent and the ancient, the captain of fifty, the honorable man and the counselor and the cunning artificer and the eloquent orator. And I will give children to be their princes and babes shall rule over them. And that prophecy as I'm speaking is being fulfilled, ladies and gentlemen. 
Okay, so let's get to the subject of this Bible study. Is the Father and the Son one being, ladies and gentlemen? This is a very simple Bible study. If you believe what the Bible says, this is going to be a very simple one to prove here. Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. Turn there. This is the transfiguration. And why he, that's Yeshua, Jesus, why he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Actually, no. Uh, and let me go into context. Verse 4. Matthew 17, verse 4. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias or Elijah. Verse 5. While he yet spoke, so while yet Peter spoke, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So this is another being talking about another being. All right, that's pretty plain, ladies and gentlemen. And this being the father is telling uh, Peter to listen to his son who was transfigured. All right, let's go to some other scriptures. John chapter 12, verse 28. There's another time when um, another voice was speaking. John 12, let's look at the context here. John 12, verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. So if he's the Father, why would he be talking to himself? Let's use our brains, ladies and gentlemen, and, and look at this now. In verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. So is he asking is Yeshua, if he is the Father, too, why would he ask himself to glorify his name? It doesn't make any sense. John 8 says, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. <laughs> so here we go here. It's obviously, just these two scriptures will prove that the Father is a separate from the Son. I mean, they're two separate beings. They're, they're one. But they're one in unity and agreement, not one as merging together. Okay, they're not an amalgamation. All right. Uh, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 14. It says, But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be immersed of thee, and you come to me. And verse 15, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Allow it to be so now, for... Thus it becomes us to fulfill or complete all righteousness. Then he allowed him. In verse 16, And Jesus, when he was immersed, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. All right? In verse 17, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So again, this is a voice not coming from Yeshua or Jesus, but from some other being, who that being is the Father, according to what the Bible states. Now, did you know that Jesus or Yeshua has a throne, and the Father has a throne too? Did you know that? Well, let's turn to scriptural proof of that. Revelation chapter 3. If they're one being, how can they have two separate thrones? Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. 
to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. Again, the scripture proves without a shadow of a doubt, no doubt, that the father and the son are two separate beings. They have two separate thrones. All right? And Yeshua shares the father's throne. I also overcame and, and am sat down with my father in his throne. Let me read this again. Revelation 3, verse 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. And here we'll go again. We have to, to pray that he gives us the ability to understand these words here, because if we don't believe these words, you're going to become blind, and you won't understand the rest of the scriptures. Or this one either. Revelation 3, verse 22. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the assemblies. It says churches, but it means that they're called out ones or, or ones that are a part of the assembly. The people of God. Those who do listen to the scriptures and take them seriously. Okay? Alright, so that, that should be enough, but there's more, ladies and gentlemen. There's more. Uh, Yeshua stated that he has a God. All right, and this this is all in the scriptures. It's not something that's not uh, that can't be understood. The Bible is, is is was written for us to understand it if if we believe the words. Revelation three verse twelve states plainly: He that overcomes will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. This is Yeshua talking to John. So. He's stating here that he has a God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which came down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my name. So that's one scripture that proves that he stated he has a God. Let's look, and that God is the Father. Let's look at uh, John chapter 20 here. John 20, verse 17. It says, Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. So he has a Father, and he has a God. And I'm going to read the rest of this to prove this to you. But go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father, and your Father, and to my God, and your God. That's in John 20, verse 17, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so that, again, this is so easily proven out of the Scriptures. Ephesians 1, verse 17 states plainly, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Again, in Ephesians 1, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. Now, if you say, "Well, I don't believe that," or that's not what it's saying, then you're not going to believe the. You're not going to understand the scripture I just quoted to you. And the Spirit of God is not going to be poured out on you and in you to understand the scriptures, this one or any other scripture. If you rebel and say, "I don't want to believe it," when it plainly, plainly states in any language. Hebrew, Greek, whatever, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. 
I mean, that is so plain, ladies and gentlemen, so plain. Okay, so in the remaining seven minutes here, let me explain what he meant by, well, uh, let me go to Romans 8, verse 9. Romans 8, verse 9. To, to show you that the, the Holy Spirit is synonymous with the Spirit of Christ. Romans 8, verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So the Spirit of God, based on this scriptural interpretation, because I'm certainly not using my own, is the Spirit of Christ. Again, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is not of his. So the Spirit of God is called the Spirit of Christ. And those who believe the Trinity. So how can there be uh, a being called the Holy Spirit when that Holy Spirit really is the, the Spirit of Christ? Christ's Spirit. And then in the book of Revelation, the last chapter, it talks about, in verse 1, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Where's the? How come the Holy Spirit is not included in that? And then in Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, and verse 56, this is when Stephen was dying, this is what he saw. God allowed him to see this. And in Acts 7, verse 56, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Two separate beings again. <laughs> so, so anyway, let's go to uh, John chapter 14. And there's other scriptures, but you know I think those are enough. Anyway, John chapter 14, starting in verse 9, says, Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time, long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou, show us the Father? So most people, when they want to be right, without checking the rest of the scriptures to see if they're right, say, okay, that's it. The Son is the Father, and the Father is the Son. But let's go to verse 10 to help us understand what he meant. Believe thou not, believe thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me, he does the works. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe me for the works' sake. Okay? And and here's another scripture to prove they're two separate beings. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do shall he also do, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. How can he go unto himself? Okay? So, it's, it's, again, this is an easily proved, um, what am I trying to say here? It's easily, you can easily prove that the Father is a separate being than the Son, ladies and gentlemen. And this, this can be easily proved if you desire to believe the Scriptures. It's plain and simple as that. If you don't, then it's going to be difficult. If you want to continue to believe that... Uh, and John 14, verse 28 says this, You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come unto you again, and come again unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Now, if they are one and the same, how can they be? How can He be greater than Himself? Again, let's use our common sense, ladies and gentlemen. God gives us common sense. Uh, 
and we need to use it. Okay, uh, in John chapter 17, verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. How can he glorify himself in this context, ladies and gentlemen? He's praying to someone else, not himself. Verse 2, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, how can he give himself power over all flesh? Okay, That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him Verse 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee the only true God. That's an interesting Bible study, by the way. Uh, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That's two separate beings, the only true God, the Father, and Jesus Christ. Hold your place here and turn to 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6. Paul explains this. He says in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6, But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom all are of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Now, Yeshua is God too, but he's not God. He's not God the Father. Okay? That's the point that he's making here. So let's go back to John 17, verse 4. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou hast given me to do. Verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee. So he was with him, okay, before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gave me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest thou, thou, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. And I wanted to get down to how he explains the oneness that he has with the Father. John 17, verse 11, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thy own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Okay? So that's what he means when the Father and himself is one. They're one in unity. Not They're not merged together into one being. And, of course, the assemblies of God, God aren't merged into one being. They're one in unity, and that's what he's talking about, ladies and gentlemen, all right? That's what he means when the Father and Son are one. That's what he means, okay? And he states here, uh, let me read the rest of this here, in verse 21 of John 17, that they all may be one as thou, Father, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So that's the Bible interpretation of what he meant. If you see me, you've seen the Father. He meant that they are in total agreement. They're in unity. And the Father dwelt in him. That's what he meant. Not the fact that they're not two separate beings, ladies and gentlemen. There's no other way to conclude based on the scriptures that I've shown you. Okay, so that is that, ladies and gentlemen. I, I don't know any other scriptures that I could show you. Well, there's other scriptures, but I think I've done the job of showing you. So may Elohim, Elohim, <laughs> Elohim bless you and keep you, and God willing, I'll be available to you next week. Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. 
But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. <laughs> 